0: Finishing your data marathon, driving to action from data. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Brent Dykes, who's the chief of data storytelling at his own firm, Analytics Hero, and is also the author of Effective Data Storytelling, How to Drive Change with Data, Narrative, and Visuals. I asked Brent to be on after... uh, Joao Sosa had pointed out uh, Brent's content a couple of times. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Brent's point of view. Number one, focus on the so what. What should people take away and do from the insights, not the sausage making of the insights. Exec want to eat the dang cake, not hear about how you made the dang cake. Number two, many organizations lose steam in actually driving action on analytics. They don't drive change with data. They fail at least one of the following, generating actual insights, communicating their insights well enough to drive action, and or actually acting on the insights. Number three, the analytics marathon that Brent had put together, you know, kind of as an analogy is data collection leads to data processing, leads to data visualization and reporting. That's often where a lot of people get stuck. That leads to data analysis, which leads to insight communication, which leads to actually taking action. A lot of, again, people get stuck at that data analysis uh, and not really communicating their insights or taking action. Number four, many companies stop the marathon at that visualization and reporting step. They aren't really driving the results they want, so they focus more and more time on collection and processing of data instead of finishing the the race. And so they keep going, we're not acting on our data, we're not being data-driven, so we need to collect more data. Doesn't work very well, right? Number five, really consider why you are doing data work. It's not, if it, it's not to simply do analytics, to build the dashboards and reports. It's to take action on the data and affect change through more informed decisions. Number six, it's easy to like the data when it supports your narrative. A strong analytics culture bends decisions and thinking to the data instead of the other way around. Number seven, companies with good analytics practices that take action on data typically have at least an executive sponsor around analytics, if not buy-in and sponsorship from the entire leadership team. There is an understanding that actions are driven by data when possible, and there's a test-and-learn kind of culture. Number eight, executive support and a test-and-learn culture are what drive results from analytics. Many companies buy the same tools and have vastly different degrees of success with data. So again, look for the exact support and the test and learn culture. This is again from Brent's point of view, but I think this is something that is pretty universal as well. Number nine, if your organization isn't doing analytics well, the best way to drive towards doing analytics well is get wins from analytics and build momentum to drive to higher and higher exec sponsors. It might be a senior manager to start and you get a couple of wins and their uh, manager, or their, the director is like, oh, let's get involved with this. And then the senior director and then the VP and on and on, right? It's not a switch, but you can drive towards that. Number 10, potentially controversial, sometimes to drive necessary understanding in documentation or or other ways of bringing data users up to speed, you really need to show the lineage all the way back to how the data is even collected, not just processed. That's important for people to understand in a lot of use cases. Number 11, the more you share data, the more likely information is to be misunderstood. Beware the difference between what a metric means and what people think it means, right? This is a trap of trying to share all of the data instead of share it in a curated way and and share it for use cases and why, you know, with, with a lot of information around what this actually is. Number 12, potentially controversial. To get to scale, we use passive communication, you know, read mostly documentation about our data. But to truly drive to understanding, we also can't shy away from active, you know, read human to human, person to person communication. A a personal note from me, episode 150 has some interesting insight on how far documentation should should go around that. That was the episode with Chris uh, Dove. Number 13, another potentially controversial one, storytelling is often the easiest way to sway people with data because human brains have evolved to accept information via story. We've been doing it for thousands of years. You know, medium is is what, like five, seven years old or whatever. Storytelling is thousands of years old. Uh, number 14, mature organizations understand the data can be wrong and prepare for that move fast and make incremental moves instead of a big bang approach. You learn more and can do better the next time even on actions that weren't as valuable as expected, right? You you can understand that it's not always going to be perfect, but it gives you the ability to be better. Number 15, another potentially controversial one maybe, um, business analyst roles should evolve to be more like personal trainers. Helping people learn how to do good analysis and then communicate their insights. They won't work themselves out of a job. Merely get to a place where they focus on helping those people and then can also, in their own analysis work, they can focus on the bigger, harder, deeper, more valuable questions. Number 16, and this one is controversial, and maybe I I overextrapolated a little on on Brent's thoughts, but I, I think this is what he was really driving towards, which is, You want to get to a place where you remain more neutral, as an exec, right? You remain more neutral until the data informs your view. It can cause more cognitive load to update our views instead of waiting for the data to kind of speak first and and maybe give us some, some thoughts and some insights. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Brent Dykes here, who is the chief data storyteller at, uh, or sorry, the chief of data storytelling at Analytics Hero. And um, we're going to be covering a lot of different things. Um, Brent's got a, a lot of really, really great content. Um, it's funny. I, I ran across him three or four times within a, a two-week span. So I was like, okay, I've got to reach out. And we're going to be talking about like, what is the point of doing data? Like, it if we're not acting on it, why do it? And and where companies kind of go wrong and where they lose track in that. And then, you know, we've talked about this a, a couple of times in, in a lot of different episodes, but like where do we actually get crisp around what is the handoff and who does what in data? How do we actually work together to get to that? And everybody's just going, "Oh, I thought you were doing it." Um, one thing he said in, in the pre-call that I really, really loved was, "It's it's about you know, there's this attitude of it's about being right, not about being data-driven." How do we how do we move past that? And then, you know, some things about analysts as, as personal trainers is that it's a really good analogy that that Brent had come up with. And then, you know, we some of the things other people have talked about of anomaly detection of like what actually matters and how do we actually go about this and um, adapting that test and learn mindset relative to data. That's crucial if you're being data-driven in general, but especially if you're doing data mesh. So with all of that as kind of backdrop to the conversation, before we we get to that, Brent, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So my background is in digital analytics, marketing analytics. I spent basically 12 years working at Adobe. Um, they acquired a company I was working for called Omniture, Most of that time, I was in consulting, so I was working with Fortune 500 companies around the world, uh, helping them as a business consultant and then as a manager of different teams of of analytics consultants. Uh, I did four years at Domo, which is a cloud BI solution, and then I did a year at uh, Blast Analytics, a consulting agency out of Sacramento, California. And then in August of 2021, I decided to go independent, do my own consulting business around my book that I published at the beginning of 2020 called Effective Data Storytelling. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been doing training sessions, coaching, consulting all around data storytelling.
0: Awesome, yeah, and and uh, you know, I've like I said, I've seen a lot of the content that you've been putting out, and I think it's it's really helpful in doing this because. Do you mind by starting actually with how you define storytelling in this? Because we had Scott Taylor on; he was he was talking about um, telling a story to get your um, data projects approved versus I think you're talking about telling a story with data.
1: Right. Yeah. So I I, I focus more on uh, if you're doing analysis, you found an insight how do you communicate that insight so that people understand it that they appreciate it and that they and that you can hopefully drive action right one that's one of the concerns or one of the frustrations we all have is that we do all this data work and then it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't doesn't affect change and so actually the title of my my book when i published it um i was very intentional with the title um it's basically effective data storytelling how to drive change with data, narrative, and visuals. And so for me, um, it's really important that we take the insights that we have and let's make sure that they're fully understood, that that people appreciate them and that they can actually drive some kind of change within the organization.
0: Like, I I think, where do you see people dropping that ball? Because I think this is a great place to start and and where do you see you know, you've got this, um, a series of, of great graphics that you'd put together. Um, I'm not typically a visual person. So the fact that you actually communicated to me in a visual way and, and that it, it, it stuck with me is, is, uh, interesting, but, um, can you talk about kind of the steps and, and where people typically drop off and like how much of the work is done, but how much of the work we do all of this work and it's kind of, um, Sound and fury driving nothing, right? It's all this right. work, and it doesn't end up actually affecting the change that you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I again, because I'm a visual person, I guess I, <laughs> I use a lot of visuals, and and I came up with an analogy um, for what I felt was. Kind of what was happening with a lot of companies, you know, as I've worked with different organizations, I've seen a lot of companies get to the same points in this journey, right? So I kind of consider the analytics um, kind of journey that we go through as organizations, and I equated it to a marathon. And I, and I basically, I wrote, a, I, I'm also publishing a lot of articles on Forbes, and this is one of the articles that I published there. Uh, and it, it, I think it really resonated with a lot of people, but I see the first step in this marathon that we're running is the data collection, right? Most companies today are collecting enormous amounts of data. So that's not really the problem. Um, you know, that's everybody's collecting data. Uh, the next step is um, the processing of that. Um, so the preparation and the, and the processing of that data, the cleansing, all of that data work that's really essential to making sure that it's usable uh, that it that it's prepared and ready to go into reports and dashboards and all that. Um, so that's the next step, and I would say there's some level of drop off. You know, there's some companies that maybe don't prep, pre- prepare, or prep their data as well as they could. Uh, the next step is I, I basically say you do data visualization, mainly reporting, right? So a lot of the times we we take that data that's been that's gone through some processing and some preparation it then goes into dashboards, it goes into reports. And uh, and so the data is visualized and, and shared that way. And that's where I think I see the biggest, I mean, obviously I think most companies are doing it, but then after that step, I think a lot of companies and, and analytics teams are really focused on just getting it to that point and no further. Uh, I really As I've talked to different organizations, I've seen a lot of struggle around how much analysis are they really doing after they've kind of visualized the data, got the reports set up. Uh, A lot of companies I've worked with get into this reporting rut. You know, it's all about, okay, well, let's go collect more data. Let's prepare it. Let's generate more reports. Okay, let's go back, collect more data. Nobody's actually doing any analysis. Um, And so I see that as a, a big challenge that that how many of the analytics and data teams are actually spending time doing real analysis. And then from there, the next challenge in this journey or this marathon is, okay, so you've done your analysis. Have you communicated those insights clearly to business teams, to uh, key stakeholders in the organization? Do they understand uh, the insights that you're sharing? And then the next step and the final step would be a decision has been made, some action has been taken, and and I kind of see an attrition in this this race that that many companies don't get all the way to the end, you know. And if we think about why are we doing all this data work, it's not just to build a dashboard; it's to actually help us make better decisions, to take action on that data, to affect change, to uh, improve performance to reach more customers to uh, eliminate errors or whatever it is that we're trying to do to improve the business you know those actions that we take generate value for the business and often what happens is we don't see it all the way through to the end of that race now i'm not saying once you've done the race you're good no it's like we're running you're like a marathon, or you're running okay what's the next race you know let's let's start the next race and it, it's cyclical cyclical in that in that way uh, where we're constantly running uh, marathons. But too many organizations I feel are really good at starting marathons but not finishing them. And that's yeah. kind of a key point.
0: I had uh, Ebru Kusen on recently, and she was talking about um, treating your data like a garden. And and it's like you can have each one be like a little plot or when you think about each little data product, but that you're constantly tending. And if you don't constantly tend, it's going to get weeds. And so you constantly have to be fighting those forces. But um, one thing that you were uh, kind of talking about in there is is like. I don't want to say what exactly should be the structure as to make sure that this doesn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. That, 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 you know, people actually follow through on what is the actual analysis. And then did we drive the action and then measure like (laughs) how well did that action go? Like what, what can we learn, you know, and and feed that back in. But what have you seen from companies, like maybe if you've seen anti-patterns of like where like where are the common mistakes that people can avoid, but also like what does, what do the good organizations when they get to good or when you've come in and they're already at good, like, what does that look like? So kind of what, what, what to avoid and, and what are some key threads rather than tell me exactly how to do this versus what are some key points that, that are indicators or some things that people can, push towards to make it so that this isn't, you know, all this work to actually drive nothing.
1: Right. I I think one indicator of an organization that's on the right path is usually when they have an executive sponsor, right? So you have executive sponsorship within the organization, strong leadership, strong buy in from the, not just the executive sponsor, but maybe from the the leadership team as a whole that there's, there's. This is the way that we do things here. We use data. We make decisions with data. We don't just use data when it's convenient or when it, you know, it's aligned with our agenda. We actually look to the data. It's part of the way we operate and that's, you know, kind of top down that that's how we do things. That's, you know, and and it's interesting to see organizations that have that leadership and then others where you see pockets of uh, innovation pockets of of success, um, but as a collective organization, there isn't that leadership buy in or um, support. And so, you know, for for a time, I think those analytics teams can sustain some kind of success. Maybe they get some um, rewards or different things. But at the end of the day, it you know, without that support without that buy in at the top level, it it can really wear you down, and and you get frustrated that. You know, there's so much more that we could be doing with what we're doing and and we're, you know, we're only accomplishing barely, you know, the occasional win here or there. So I think leadership is key. Um, The other thing I think you you start to see a data culture in the sense that I think the organizations that I've seen that are more stronger in this area is when they have a test and learn kind of culture, that that's been kind of established within an organization. Uh, I think that's a level of maturity uh, that I um, appreciate when I interact with organizations that, that they're not just, um, you know, they're actually, when we do things, when we make decisions, we, we, we're really focused on learning, uh, you know, whether this is the right choice or the right decision that we're making, we do a test, we then Analyze the results of that test and then make a decision, you know, whether this is the right thing or, or we do another test, you know, that could be the next step. Uh, but I think a test and learn mentality, a test and learn uh, culture at an organization is is something, again, that I see as a maturity uh, indicator that this is an organization that's a little bit further along the curve of of data maturity than a than a company that doesn't invest in that area. Because um, at the end of the day, if we look at a lot of organizations, a lot of them are investing in the same tools, uh, they're investing in the same technologies, uh, a lot of the platforms are shared. Uh, but then when you actually get into the nitty gritty of, of why why is this company with the same toolbox that much further ahead than this other company? and i think it is some of those things where you have the leadership in place you have you're starting to get that data culture in place uh and, and that starts to create separation from the pack that are still kind of floundering or not quite making the commitment to being data driven and and the commitment to you know not just the technology but the processes the um you know all of the the talent and, and everything that goes into a successful uh, data program,
0: and a couple of things in there. I mean, one, it's it's good whether somebody's reflecting back on are we are we headed in this right direction. But if somebody isn't headed in that good direction, does is there a way to affect change if you're not? at the top level, right? Because you're talking about this exec sponsor, or is it to to shop around for an exec sponsor <laughs> and, and try and do that? Or or is it just to leave? Or like, what, what have you seen when somebody has been doing this wrong and right. has shifted towards doing it right? Like what what could somebody out there uh, that's, that's a little depressed from hearing what you're talking about, <laughs> uh,
1: get more excited about where they could shift things? Yeah, I mean, get wins where you can, right? You you know, day one, you know, maybe you're in an organization that isn't uh, as data centric as maybe a previous company that you worked at, or 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 maybe you just you know when you go to conferences and you talk to people, you just realize, oh man, our you know, our company is so far behind where everybody else is. But I think it's it's about getting wins in 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 places that you can, and and with an executive, there's a, a guy that I. When I was at uh, Adobe, um, he really had an interesting story because his journey was when he first started doing analytics, um, basically he uh, he couldn't go get the CEO to be his you know executive sponsor. There was no such thing as a data chief data officer or anything at that at that time or even a chief analytics officer at that time there, that that didn't exist. Um, so what he did is he did his work and he got sponsorship from a director, you know, a director that he impressed with his work and and got him within his sphere of influence and control to kind of help him succeed with the level that he could. And then a, a year or two later, that guy's boss then got interested. So he he went to from a director level kind of executive sponsor to a VP. And then a, a year or so later, two years later, uh, an SVP, uh, senior uh, vice president, caught attention of what his work was doing, and so he basically graduated. He moved up, so he got a he got he he got basically a more senior and more senior more senior kind of executive sponsor to kind of sponsor and support and and help him with his success, and and so he was able to climb up, get more. Influence more um, resources, bigger budgets, all of that just by um, showing his work, working with what he could at the time. And then he impressed people above, and then he was able to kind of climb and and get more and more um, recognition and, and, and support. So that's one example of, you know, maybe today you're struggling and, and it's hard to get recognized, well, identify who could be that executive sponsor, who who is trying to do something where data could actually uh, help them with their initiatives or whatever, and then connect with them and then help them to succeed and then see where that takes you. Well, I was I was hoping for some magic words that
0: you could just say. You could just mutter the the magic incantation and, and get there. But it sounds like it's a, it's a bit bit of a tough road to 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 go down. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves a little bit, yeah. But okay, and and I think, but I think that's also a good reality check of if this isn't already something that you're doing, um, it's not a, a switch, right? Like I, I kind of talk about this with um, when we're talking about switching ownership to domains. It's not a switch. It's not, you now own it. I owned it. I owned it today. You own it tomorrow. And you're it. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Treating treating data ownership like a hot potato is not gonna go well, right? You're gonna end up with some burned hands and some smashed potato on the floor. Um so so I think that's that's a, a kind of a good place to to transition into that, like who does what? Like where where are you seeing things be? successful is it that you know i feel like some organizations try and have ultra crisp handoffs between this team is going to do x this team is going to do y and there's a very very clear boundary versus hey this team understands that my ownership goes towards this 60% and this team understands their ownership goes towards six this 60% and there's this overlap in the middle where we make sure things don't fall through the cracks cuz both kind of own it and they both understand that they absolutely have to go their full 60% and this other team has to go their full 60% so you've got that kind of meeting each other more than halfway like how are you seeing is it just clear documentation is it um just getting in the mode of of doing things at a smaller scale and building to a larger scale like how are you seeing teams how, like what are, what are the things that you've seen that are teams that are already in this mode and you're working with teams to get them to this mode, right? So what, what, what actually helps them get there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think in the days when everything was siloed, you know, we had a bunch of data silos. It was probably easier to not have to worry about working with other teams and maybe the ownership of those data silos was easier, right? Cause it's like, well, nobody can play in my sandbox because I own the sandbox. This is all my sand. Uh, And you have to ask permission to get my, you know, come into my sandbox where now I think as we, as we start to, I, I think when I first started in analytics, it was basically one team's data and, and that's all you had to really worry about. You had that silo data for that marketing team or that sales team or that product team or whatever it was. And I think as we've grown in maturity and as maybe our data initiatives have become more ambitious and probably more valuable as well, right? I mean, solving the needs of marketing only is good, but or or maybe one team within marketing um, is good. But what if we could do this for all of marketing? Or what if we could do – what if we could help with that data we could – we could take the marketing data and combine it with the sales data and see really which, which campaigns are really driving sales as opposed to just leads. Um, you know. And these are where we start to combine data sets. I think that's where the value increases and also the coordination, the collaboration, the the handoffs need to be crisper and and we need to be communicating more. We need to not be so um, possessive and, and protective of our data. You know, we're trying to uh, achieve some kind of shared goal. We're trying to uh, improve uh, something for the entire company, not just for our department or our team. Um, and so I think that, you know, obviously – I've seen the value of project managers playing a role and coordinating these projects that that span multiple departments and multiple teams. I think there has to be a PMO uh, kind of responsibility there. Obviously, um, there has to be some kind of uh, commitment and ownership from the the parties that are participating. And uh, you know, I think you know when we when we do this the right way, and you mentioned documentation, obviously you know when we're when we're merging different data sets and we're working with you know people have different definitions of what certain metrics are and and where they come from and and it's funny like i, I you know having worked in in marketing most of my life um, there's the interesting thing is from an implementation and a technical perspective understanding what the data means and then there's a whole different understanding of maybe what people interpret that data to mean um, and it's interesting. Sometimes we need to pop the hood and show them. Yeah, let's show you how we collect this data, and then see what if your definition of what you think this metric means still means what it means. Because as we show you where we get this data and where it's coming in, and, and when we're collecting it, and who we're collecting it from, you might actually change your understanding of that def- or your of what that metric means. And many times in my career, uh, you know, I've been on teams where we we had to kind of alert the the leaders to this data doesn't mean what you think it means. It means something entirely different, and you need to start using it the right way, or else you're going to make bad decisions because you think it means X and it really means Y. Uh, you know, and and those are some of the things. So definitions, big, big. Uh, I'm definitely bought into that, and the need for for having those definitions and a data glossary, not just the data catalog, but uh, you know, really combining the data literacy with the data with the business literacy, I think that's a really key thing um, to get success with data uh, going forward.
0: How much of, of your communication that you're seeing in in, in well functioning teams is active versus passive? And what I mean by this is that there's there, there is this idea around the way a lot of people want data to work of, I am actually self-serve. And what that means is I can find it, I can access it, I can understand it, I can leverage it versus can you actually fully document something or can you create this magical data model that makes it self-documenting or can you do all of these things? And My personal, like I I have a a dog in this fight very, very much in that I am very, very, very (laughs) adamant that there needs to be far more person to person communication and that we can find lower friction ways to do the, the passive communication, but that active communication, if you don't do it you're headed for trouble and yet right. technologists want a technology and they want to make it so that it's, it is all passive communication. Like, how have you seen that work with teams that are
1: working well? I just think you've got to do both. I, I, I honestly, I, I mean, obviously the passive, the benefit of passive is that it scales, right? Yes. So we do it in a way everybody can access it. It it's, a, and, and for some people, They don't want to talk to somebody. They just give me point me where I need to go to find the information I need. And you're going to have a certain percentage of people who love that. They don't want to interact with people. They don't want to have to wait for a response. They just want to go self-service themselves. And then there's others that you will need to hold their hand. You will need to guide them. You will need to tell them where to find, what certain things mean. You will have to definitely play an active role because – These could be leaders. These could be really uh, strategic people within the organization that if they don't know where to find stuff, or if they don't know how to use it the right way, or they misinterpret what it means or whatever, that can cause big problems. And maybe they're just not accustomed to self-servicing like other people. So I think we have different personalities. We have different traits and and dispositions. And, And so I see it as we need to do both. Uh, you know, we need to cover the, the passive side, you know, and the, and the great benefit, as I said, it scales, um, you know, and that can, that can work for a lot of people, but then there may be some strategic people that we need to make sure that they're on board, they get it. Um, they know where to find things. That's the biggest, I think that's one of the biggest challenges I found is that within large organizations, one of the biggest challenges is just, I didn't even know that content existed. I didn't know how to find that content. Uh, You know, I mean, people just don't know where to go to find stuff. And, and that, you know, causes a lot of uh, problems that, that people just either they give up or they, maybe they're using data that's suboptimal or not as not the right data that they should be using. Um, They may not know that information even exists that could actually help them help their team or help their role. Uh, and, and so there's, that's a huge challenge, especially the larger your organization is just trying to find useful information and where it exists and how I can, how can, you know, where do I go? Where does it, where does it live? Yeah. I, a couple of things in there, but like, I I think a
0: lot of what you're talking about is that that passive communication is for kind of rote things of, you know, we all know the definition essentially of revenue and we have a clarified definition of this is how we measure our revenue. So let's look at the dashboard for revenue from yesterday to today or whatever. But that also that um, a lot of what you're talking about is that, passive communication those those data glossaries that data catalog the whatever is about kind of opening up the art of the possible as to uh-huh. what could we do what could we look into what might we want to do and that you know do we want that to be do we want to have data sherpas or data librarians that are like extracting from people what do you want to do not not what do you think you can do but let's talk about you know, if, if you had your, your druthers, if you had anything that you could do, you know, that kind of uh, imaginatorium or whatever mm-hmm. kind of approach. Um, but also one thing that you talked about was some people don't, they only want to leverage the passive. They don't want to talk to people, but some people need help. I think the, the 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 problem is when somebody fits into both of those categories right. of somebody needs the help but doesn't want it and so then they're going and finding the bad data but I'm not asking you to solve the world but I, I think how how do we change our attitudes towards data internally like is it that it has to be top down that you do have to do or, or how have you seen, especially with the the data storytelling of the wins? Like how do you start to build that momentum with people and how do you get people to understand that aspect of it's not about being right. It's about being data driven. Like how have you seen that work?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the cool things about data storytelling is that we take an insight and we package it in a way that human beings for thousands of years have become accustomed to hearing things as a story that, you know, it's almost like, I, I kind of did a post about this last week, a little bit different context, but it's almost like our brains, you know, when they hear a story, it's like squirrel, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh. You know, we, we automatically, Oh, I want to hear where this is going. I want to hear this story. Um, You know, we come, we become very inquisitive. we, we, in some cases, psychologists have found that we don't even nitpick on the details as much. We want to see where the story goes. Um, and so, the exciting thing for me, in terms of like trying to get organizations more data driven, is I see storytelling, data storytelling, playing a role in exposing more people to the data. And the value that the data can provide, right? Because we can show, hey, we found a problem with our manufacturing manufacturing process, or hey, we found this segment of customers that we didn't even know um, existed that that love this particular feature or this particular product, and and we can you know sell to them and make X or um, you know whatever it is. And, and and the cool thing about telling data stories is. Not only are we sharing, uh, helping to to influence decisions and help organizations make smart decisions, but we're also educating and in kind of helping everybody to learn more about the business, right? Like we're learning more about what works, our what business practices work, which you know learning more about our customers, learning more about our processes here. Everybody who hears these data stories is now becoming that much more smarter, that much more informed, and, and who knows where that leads to, right? I mean, one, one manager hears what one department did, and then they're like, well, I wonder what we could do in our department. And, and that starts to, you know, starts to uh, catch on, and, and, and who knows where it goes. And in those stories,
0: there was something in there that I hadn't really thought about which was you were talking about exposing people to the data and the conclusions of the data right like when you're when you're trying to get this practice going internally do you recommend that people are only talking about the conclusions and the actions, or do you recommend that they pepper in, and here is how we made this insight. Here is how we discovered this, that you show people that it wasn't that suddenly inspiration struck and it was there, or that all of a sudden the uh, analytics just occurred, you know, that, that your, your AI is to do this.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) It's truly automated. It is truly, you know, autonomous. It is truly everything versus like, how can humans in the loop be, uh, much better, more productive, but also like, How can we actually, how could you do this? How, how can I lower the perceptual bar where I'm not trying to say I did the magic, our team did the magic versus, Hey, our team put in the work and it resulted in something. But like, this is how you get additional things is by putting in the work. Like, how do you balance that when you're going
1: like a team that needs to build this up? Right. I would say it's kind of like, yes and no. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Part Part of it is, okay, so if we're going to executives, uh, we have to be very careful about how much time we spend on the sausage making. or I like to use the cake, you know, baking the cake, right? If we go into like, you know, okay, so here's this beautiful cake. Now, before we start eating the cake, I want to talk about how I made the cake, you know and and once we've been going for fifteen, 20 minutes, people are going to get tired of listening to us about making the cake. They just want, just give me a dang piece of that cake. I want to eat it. It looks good. It looks delicious. You know, so I think part of it with our audience is we have to be careful that, yeah, we want to get people like, this is possible. This is the art of the possible. This is what we can do. Um, but with executives, I would say, you know, they just want to have the insight and know what to do. Now, on the flip side, you know, when you're working with business teams and and you're trying to kind of support maybe uh self-service analytics and you're trying to educate and you're trying to get buy-in you're trying to show hey guys this isn't as hard as it looks you know like you have all of the tools to do very similar analysis you know analyses to what we just did you can find insights just like we did and so that might be a that would be the other side of it yeah that you could step through these are some of the processes that we 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 took these are the steps we took and look it's not as hard as you know, it's not rocket science here. You know, you have the technology, you have the training, you have examples you can follow. Um, you can reach out to us for help and guidance. You know, we want you to be successful, and and here's some examples to get you inspired and and show you that it's it, it is possible that maybe even showing other business teams doing being successful. You know, if they if they're looking at the data team or the analytics team, well, sure, you guys all know the data, you're all. Really smart, blah blah blah. But hey, you know, no, we 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 helped this marketing team. Look what they were able to do. De- what what they were able to do. You know, you could do the same for your sales team or for your product marketing team or whatever it is. Um, You know, maybe we do it that way to kind of show, you know, showing a, a team that's similar to them in, in skill set that it is possible. And you know, with a little bit of coaching and and guidance, they can they can achieve really cool things.
0: Yeah. So essentially what, what I would say, if if I were to take out what you're talking about there, especially with the execs is if they want to take a a cake baking class, you should offer that there is a cake baking class, but that's not what they're there for, right? They are there to eat. They're there to consume the information. They aren't there to learn exactly how, but at the same point, if we don't get them bought in that this isn't just some magical thing that just happens, then we don't get the investment. So we do need that, but it's like, it, it shouldn't be combined at the same time. It's kind of, you know, you, when you're going to a fancy restaurant, you have, you know, different aspects of the meal, right? You have your appetizer, you have the, you know, all the different courses and that you don't bring out all the courses at once. Because your senses get overwhelmed and you're kind of talking about that same thing from a, a, a mental standpoint as well. And I think that's I think that's useful to call out specifically that this is why you don't do it, not just don't do it. But like, I think you were giving a lot of really good examples in there. So, um, wh- but what we had talked about as well in, in that pre-call again was the, it's not, a you know, it's about being right, not about being data driven. And how do we fight against that? You know, where do you see that coming from the most? Is it the execs? Is it the, you know, the the C-suite execs? I would hope that they're not quite that naive about how data works, but maybe they are. Or is it line of business execs and it's somebody who's got deep, deep, deep domain knowledge and they're like, I know how this works. Your data told me it was going to be this. I trust, you know, I trusted the data instead of my gut, and therefore data is never wrong and my gut is always right. Like, where do you see that that being the most persistent and, and how do we start to kind of push back against it?
1: When we use data just to prove that we're right. I mean, that shows a low level of maturity, I think with data, right? Because in that case, it means, okay, I like the data when it supports my narrative. You know, I feel that customers only buy for us for these two reasons. And the data supports that. I like the data. Now the data shows that I'm right. Uh, I don't like the data when it shows that actually there's a third reason that I don't like. Uh, and, and all of a sudden now I, you know, I question the data. I think that, you know, where did this data come from? You know, was it, is it accurate? You know, I start to, you know, that, that to me shows a culture, a, a, a organization that has, doesn't yet have a data maturity with their data. Sure, they have lots of data. They're using data. They're using data occasionally to make decisions selectively, um, but you know, I think when we move beyond that, that that we're actually listening to the data. That executives actually want to know what the data says. And you know, a lot of people get kind of like, "Well, I don't want to be told what to do by the data." No, what we're doing is we're factoring that into our decision making. But if we're not even prepared to listen to the numbers, if we're not even open to the idea that we might be wrong or that our assumptions are not quite accurate, then, then we have a problem. You know, because until an organization – and it's, it's really – I mean, there's, it can be a problem when you have a senior leader who is not willing to listen to the data – that can be a problem. It's an even bigger problem when you have several of those leaders at an organization, and they still operate, you know, selectively with data. Um, hopefully, you know, uh, over time, those those people uh, either come around, or they or they don't continue with the organization. They, they maybe they they you know the organization outgrows their skill set, and we, they need new talent people who, you know, do think data first and are looking for the data to inform their decision-making. Um, but I I really think it comes back to when we are just using data to, to prove that we're right, that, that just shows an immature uh, uh, culture at an organization uh, when, they, when they go that way.
0: And how do you prepare people like that for when the data was wrong? Or when the data, uh, you know, I mean, you kind of talked about Data informed versus data driven. I prefer the the, the phrasing of data informed because exactly what you said, the data doesn't drive the decision. The data informs the decision and all that. But they, that ship has sailed, right? It, it's it's that everybody's talking data driven instead of data informed. But like,
1: well, I I don't mind the data driven kind of mindset. I, I I interpret that as leaning into the data. That's how I do. You lean into the data or do you let it just kind of like blow over you? And and so when we talk about being data driven, I I. I view that as okay we're leaning into the numbers we're we want to see where these things now going back to your question about when the data is wrong and and I think again that's just a maturity I think more mature organizations realize that the data is not always going to be perfect and and sometimes you know let's take the we've done an analysis we found an insight we tell an amazing data story and it, it inspires everybody to act on this and then we go and, take the action and and it doesn't have the lift that we thought it would you know and and so there's two things we can do at that point we can we can say well that was dumb you know we're not we're never going to do that again we're, you know we're not going to listen to the data you know we're going to go with our gut or whatever or the other opposite approach is okay well what can we learn from this you know what what maybe we we need to triangulate and come at it from a different direction. Maybe that approach that we tried wasn't the right approach. But but again, that's a maturity thing that's that's thinking, OK, what can we take from this? Maybe there's a little bit of calibration we can do, and then maybe it's the second attempt that gets the results that we thought. Or maybe we just learned that there's some other third factor, some other variable at play that wasn't a part of our analysis that that we've now discovered and and that's the key thing. Okay, now we've learned something. Now we're, you know, we're continually learning, continually growing, we're, we're getting smarter and, you know, we're going to get that much closer to a, a payoff at some point down the road whether, whether it, maybe it's not this area, maybe but because we keep trying, we keep innovating, uh-huh. we keep iterating, um, eventually we're going to have some wins with the data and it's going to we're going to have, you know, some success.
0: Yeah, well, and I think using the the phrase payoff is is important in there because a lot of times data will tell you where to make a bet. Not that this is a sure thing, that right. this is a bet and that you think that the um, outcome is more likely better than negative, right? Like, okay, I'm going to to find places where I want to make my bets. It's it's just like hiring somebody, right? You don't know that they're going to be perfect. You don't know that they're going to be a great employee, but you go through the hiring process to, and yes, mo- most hiring processes are also terrible about actually figuring this stuff out, but you go through a hiring process to figure out, do we want to make a bet on this person joining our team? Do you Same thing with looking at vendors. Same thing with all of this stuff. It's not that this is a uh, uh, an automatic yes or no, a win or a loss. You understand what's my upside, what's my downside, what what do I think are my probabilities of hitting those? You know, uh, yeah, I've got a, a friend that's. Um, you know a, a rather large fan of of sports betting you know he he doesn't do it on the out of control uh, dollar amounts but he he likes to make uh, quite a few bets you know like 5 10 dollars in a lot of different places and uh we've talked about this and you know I'm somebody that when I look at those I like the ones that are are very very low probability but that I think I've got a strategic advantage and it's like well you you lost on all of these and it's like well yeah cuz each of them, you know, I'm five of them, I made five choices and the, the like highest likelihood was 20 to one. So yeah, I'm going to lose all five most of those times, but you know, then one week I'll hit two and all of a sudden that pays off for, you know, 10 weeks of doing that type of thing. And so, um, you know, that concept of, of, what is my risk reward and getting to a thing and and getting to an understanding of, I actually know what my risk reward is, is really, you know, it's, it's, it's playing poker instead of playing roulette, right? Playing roulette is you're just letting kind of the chips fall where they may. And you're letting, you know, versus poker, you've got informed their strategy. There's, there's things there. You're still betting that something's going to happen, but you're more informed if,
1: if you're doing it right. Right, yeah, no, I can see that I can see that analogy working I guess at the end of the day, going back to your HR example, right so if we're not using data maybe fifty fifty chance that we're gonna hire a good candidate, whereas if we're using data maybe eight out of ten times we're hiring good candidates, you know whereas without the data it's more of a risk where there's more opportunity that we could make a bad hire but it doesn't pre- but to your point, it doesn't preclude that we, Make We don't make a bad hire, even if we have all the data, because, you know, there could be some other third variable that, you know, we weren't aware of. And that trips us up.
0: Or one team it doesn't do anything data driven. And they're like, see, we made we made a good hire. And it was like, yeah, but like you could have had a better shot of making sure that you didn't make a bad one. You know, yes, right. stuff works out right. Like, oh, OK, you made a, a 100 to one bet. And, you know, you thought that it it worked out that one time or, you know, I saw somebody again, um, don't mean to harp on sports betting or anything, but I just thought it was really funny. Um, Somebody had put like a $1 million bet to win $11,000 because there was a 99.9% chance and then it didn't happen. And, you know, it, it was somebody who had had all of these things of sure bet, sure bet, sure bet winning. And then it didn't. And then it was like, oh, you know, yeah, this was, uh, that's the way that, probability. is would a little bit. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But um, so I, I wanted to kind of head into the one thing that we talked about in the pre-call as well was like. Where do business analysts fit when you're talking about data storytelling? Who should be storytelling how? Like, how do you make sure that you don't have, you know, like the whole thing with data mesh and kind of decentralization and all that is finding the bottlenecks and working around the bottlenecks in a scalable, reliable way. And, you know, when you've thought about the centralized data team they become a bottleneck when you have high scale high complexity you know especially when stuff is evolving and things like that on the analysis side it's pretty easy to just go these are the ones that are generating the insights versus these are the ones that are helping us generate the insights or these are the ones that are helping us interpret the insights and what to do like Where have you seen it go well? And and maybe where have you seen people have tried to go in a direction that felt like it should work and didn't?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think at this stage, you know, I think that there's still a lot of struggles that organizations have with doing analysis. And even though self-service analytics has been deployed across many organizations, still many business teams and leaders feel intimidated using those tools on a regular basis. And so I do see analysts playing an important role in telling some of those initial um, data stories. You know, They're gonna be the ones doing the analysis and hopefully uh, getting people excited and interested in doing analysis themselves. And I see the analysts uh, being like tip of the spear, like showing people, hey, this is how we can communicate data in a better way. Uh, here are some of the insights that we're getting from uh, these these data platforms that we have and then I've always kind of felt like analysts are going to have to make a transition from order takers to actually more like personal trainers in the sense that hey we can we can work with you and help you to do your analysis and we can you know when you get, maybe if you get stuck or or if you need some help, we can jump in and help you coach you. Um, and then with that approach, then I think what we're doing is we're not only just rolling out this self-service, um, uh, these self-service analytics platforms, but we're actually coaching and mentoring people so they can take full advantage of them. Now, you know, obviously the, and, and then the, the level of sophistication and the depth of analysis that an analyst will do compared to maybe a marketer or, uh, you know, somebody on a business team, there, there is going to be a difference there, but that doesn't mean I, I, I honestly feel like everybody, if, if if we keep talking about how everybody's going to be, you know, I think there was a, a report that came out uh, by IDC and Tableau and they talked about how 70% of people, Will have a significant part of their role focused on data uh, by 2025. Uh, so that means a lot of people are going to be working with data, whether they like it or not. And if we are working with data, we're going to find things, we're going to, we're going to see things in the data. We're going to need to communicate them. That there's a good chance we're going to have some data stories to tell. Uh, but I, I do look at analysts as being people that already get the analysis side, get the interpretation side. And with some basic kind of training around how to communicate insights more effectively, uh, they, can, they can lead the way. They can show uh, these other uh, people that are following after them, okay, this is how we communicate insights in an effective manner. This is how we can, we can actually drive change with, with what we're seeing in the data. And, and I, I see them as a support role for everybody else that's coming. You know, eventually they're going to be more and more people are going to be telling data stories and the analysts will be the ones that will help coach and mentor them.
0: So, I mean, do you see them then in certain organizations kind of working themselves out of a job once everybody's capable of this? Or is that kind of one of those uh, things that is always five years down
1: the road, right? Where it's just like this thing that Eh, yeah. Gonna I, I think, I think there's always going to be a um, phone, a friend. I mean, there's going to be a deeper analysis. There's going to be a more, you know, like, I just don't think like if I go back to my marketing days, you know, yeah, I, I want to be able to kind of self-serve some level, but if there's like a bigger analysis, I don't have time for that. I got to do my day job. So there, I think there's always going to be a role for an analyst to kind of step in and kind of take over those bigger Projects, maybe more strategic projects that require just a little bit more expertise, a little bit more time um, to dive deeper into it uh, than an individual contributor or manager can spend. You know, they can take it to a certain point, but I I don't see them taking it all the way and just, you know, spending most of their time doing analysis. They just, they have other responsibilities they need to do. So it's, it's really going to be, um, I don't see the analyst role going away. Now, I think it will be changed by technology. As you know, if you've played with Chat G- GPT, you know, and 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 some of the the cool things that you can do with that, and I'm sure there's other technologies out there. I I do think that the analysts will be augmented significantly by technology, um, and so all of those menial, laborious, painful, frustrating, annoying tasks that we get assigned to do as analysts, uh, can then be handed off to a machine, can be handed off to AI, um, to, to handle some of those responsibilities. And then they can augment what we do in terms of communication. They can, uh, the technology can augment in terms of, you know, even parts of our analysis. I mean, there's, there's parts that we can hand off and parts that we still maintain control of. Um, but I see us, you know, cyborgs, cyborgs, not the right word, but you know, augmented, uh, analysts is, is really, I think what's going to happen more and more as we rely on technology to do some of the dirty work that we don't enjoy and don't have time to do. And, and it freezes up to focus on the areas that are more, um, uh, better suited to a human mind and, and drawing connections and communicating and some of those other things that, that, uh, we can, we can bring to the table that maybe machine machines at this point can't. So not everybody has to be an analytics hero is what you're telling me, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, I want everybody to be the analytics hero. That's what I want. Well,
0: um, so, I mean, we've, we've covered a whole heck of a lot of things. Is there anything we didn't cover that you think we should have, or is there any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode, maybe put a button on it?
1: Yeah, at this point, I I can't think of anything else really. I think we've we've covered a lot of different topics, and so nothing's coming to mind. But yeah, it was it was a really good conversation. Thank you, Scott.
0: Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed it as well over here. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place? What do you want them following up about? And you know, obviously, this is a good uh, place to talk about your book and kind of what you're doing as well specifically.
1: Yeah. Um, if you'd like to learn more about uh, data storytelling, definitely go to my website. So effective data um, So that's a, a great place to learn more about my book. And I have a bunch of my Forbes articles listed there, as well as uh, blog posts on data storytelling. Uh, so that's a great, and then if you're interested in my services in terms of training or coaching or consulting, that's all there. Uh, another great way to kind of, I do a lot of posts on LinkedIn. Um, so if you, want to follow me on LinkedIn, um, definitely that's a great place to see what's top of mind, what I'm thinking about, what I'm writing about. And um, and then later this year, I'll be launching a uh, an online course based on the contents of my book around uh, data storytelling. So that's probably in the coming months, that'll be something I'm hoping to roll out soon. And, and that's another way for people to kind of uh, get some training on data storytelling.
0: Well, we'll drop links to the things that exist right now in the show notes. I can't uh, necessarily drop to something that doesn't exist yet. But, well, Brent, this has been really great. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think it'll help a lot of people to get kind of over that hump of why are we actually doing this? Like, How do we actually get all the way to the end of driving with uh, to action and, and doing that? And kind of that it's not that difficult and that you can kind of just build upon itself to to do one and then the next and then the next and then show it off and kind of talk with others and and kind of get that momentum built that it doesn't have to be all of a sudden overnight. So I think that'll help a lot of people. So thank you so much for spending the time here today. And as well thank you everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Brent Dykes, who's the chief of data storytelling at his own firm Analytics Hero and author of Effective Data Storytelling, How to Drive Change with Data, Narrative, and Visuals. You can find a link to his LinkedIn, uh, a link about his book, and the mentioned blog post about the data marathon in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast. Somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst, kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read, kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.